Aloha, Jennifer. Hi, Diane. So I'm here today with Jennifer Oberg, Atelier. Am I saying that right? Atelier? Uh, atelier. Atelier. Okay. <laughs> atelier. It's a French word that means a studio where artists create. And uh, yes. that's what Jennifer does. She creates fashion. She creates patterns. She creates costumes and all sorts of wonderful things to wear. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do, Jennifer? Sure. I'm a, a dressmaker. I specialize in wedding gowns and different gowns and costumes and that sort of thing. And yeah, I just really enjoy it. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Jennifer is a real find. <laughs> she's she was she's an incredible designer and dressmaker. She's actually was making my costume for Ipono this year, which is fabulous. And um, hopefully I'll get to wear it sometime this fall. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I really want to finish that up for you. It's, it was really fun working with you on that. It will get worn. It will happen. So Yay. I'm looking forward to that. So I know that, you know, you actually started in, in Hollywood working for actresses and the, all those uh, wonderful creative yeah. people. What was that like? Uh, that was amazing. Yeah, I spent 10 years in uh, Los Angeles working on movies and television shows in uh, the Hollywood costume workrooms. Since my background is dressmaking, I was always the one making the gowns and the dresses. And, you know, there's just uh, amazing people coming together, tailors and craftspeople and milliners and just all kinds of wonderful, skilled people. Yeah, so I see a note here that you were the youngest costume workroom supervisor in your union at the time. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that was that was really amazing. Um, I was in my 20s at the time and had the opportunity to run the workrooms, and I've always enjoyed management and uh, keeping things organized and running activities and running shows and things like that so you also do uh you did a paper dress for uh the hui uh last year is that right yeah the year before it was so fun i loved it i i was inspired by the designer Erte in the 1920s <laughs> yes. beautiful i have seen beautiful. Erte. <laughs> oh i love Erte. they were my mother's so. Oh, so as, so. As, as a child, you were in, inspired by your grandmother. Is that right? Yeah, my grandmother was a dressmaker. Um, she actually, uh, when she was living in Minnesota, she was a dressmaker for a wealthy family there. And she made all the dresses for the lady of the house. And it was just a wonderful experience there. And that, was that a part of your, your inspiration to, I know you went to Fashion Institute of uh, Design in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, I guess it just was in my, it was in my DNA, in my blood. And um, I started sewing when I was 10. And then it just kept going from there. And I got very interested in theater and costuming and more than fashion, but I love fashion also. So I did go to the Fashion Institute in Los Angeles. My degree is in apparel manufacturing management. Incredible. Yeah, and then you came here and you started doing bridal yeah. gowns. We moved here in 2001, just shifted into wedding gowns and special occasion. And it's just been so fun. I work with, you know, lots of people who live here and a few who don't. And mm -hmm. and it's just a, a wonderful experience. So tell us, I know that when this pandemic started and you really you had to close your studio, you just dove in and started thinking about how you could help and how you could create medical grade masks that could be donated to the hospital. Yeah, I, my my studio closed and Diane, I I think your 
your outfit was one of the last ones on the table before I had to close. And so, yeah, I, I thought, well, I certainly I can make masks. I can sew. But then I thought, you know, I'd really like to do something a little see if I could do something more robust using medical grade materials and that sort of thing. So I put out a call on Facebook around March 18 or so. And within 24 hours, I was connected with Russell Van Dyken and he was trying to recreate an N95 mask, Mm -hmm. a real one. And so he came to my studio on the 20th and by the 21st, we were fundraising and we had prototypes going and it all happened very quickly. You actually started a factory almost up in Seabury, is that right? That's right. You know, as I kept putting this out on my social media, people were showing so much interest and I just had so many people saying, well, I want to help, I want to help. And it was overwhelming. And so then once Russell and I got the prototype figured out, I went back and I, on my Facebook and I said, I need a location. And my friend Kaimana Brumel, so she said, hey, I think we could do this at Seabury. And she reached out to the head of school, Maureen Madden. And Maureen was on board immediately. You know, Maureen is the new head of school this year. And she and her family just spent, I believe it's the last 10 years in Italy. She was the head of school in, in Italy. And this was very much on her heart. She was talking to her colleagues in Italy. We all know that Italy is so hard hit. Right. And she just knew that, you know, she wanted to get on board with this right away and just opened up the space and we're we're working up here in the classrooms. Jennifer, how, how many masks have you been able to produce? Uh, well, as of today, we'll have a thousand completed. Wow. And our goal, our goal is 10,000. Wow. 10, so have the hospitals been accepting the masks? We are mainly working with Kaiser Permanente Maui Lani Clinic. And that's who we worked with to get our prototypes together. Um, our masks go there and then they're distributed from there. Besides Maui Lani Clinic, they're going to uh, like air ambulance, doctors in private practice. We'll be getting some up to um, Kula Hospital the safe, the sex assault clinic. Hmm. And there's, there's, there's several others. And we have so many requests. Wow. So many requests. And you think, and 10,000 is your goal. How long will it take you to make 10,000? Well, it's hard to say because every couple of days we speed up our processes. You know, for example, the first, first day we got started, we, we only made 25. And then we, then next day we were able to make 50 and then a hundred and now 200 and now 300. So we keep refining our production line and and trying to get faster techniques so that we can make these faster. So it's just... How many people do you have helping you? We are averaging over 30 people a day and volunteers. And these are people that are sewing or cutting or doing all of the above? Yeah, they're they're sewing, uh, cutting, ironing, trimming, clipping. They're doing quality control, just simply like stacking up layers of of material. So there's a whole variety of things for people, even if you can't sew, there's work you can do. And what are you using for the the liners? Different types of materials. So basically, if you think of the outer layers is a liquid barrier, it's something that can repel liquid. Mm. So examples of that would be surgical gowns or sterilization wrap that they use in hospitals. And then the the next couple of layers are a filter layer and some examples of filter layers are 3m uh, 
products that are um, like air conditioner filters or furnace filters, or you can use interfacing. You could use paper towels. So there's a lot of options for filters. And then um, the, the layer that's closest to the face is kind of a heavyweight paper towel material. I think it's important for people to remember in this to not get so stuck on it has to be one particular brand or one type of material because we have to be so creative right now that we have to really think out of the box that's a cliche but we have to <laughs> think that way because you know it, it's just looking at what is it that you're trying to make your you know your outer layer should should repel liquid then you're going to have a couple of filters and then you have an inner layer layer next to the face that's probably some kind of a paper layer they're different than fabric masks so are um, these not, masks meant to be washed or are they meant to be worn once or how, how does that work? Well, it's meant to be worn once, but of course, right now there's so many people all over the world trying to figure out if these can be sterilized and reused. Mm -hmm. So we're just making them and then we're leaving the cleaning idea to the next level of experts out there who are trying to figure out if they can actually sterilize them. So that's why you they, need so many. Yeah, that's why we're making so many. You know, in a normal course of the day in, in a hospital or a clinic, they go through so many masks and gloves. And every time a doctor walks in to a, a room to examine someone, they put on a new pair of gloves. And right. then they take that pair of gloves off. It's They're just so disposable. Mm -hmm. You know, just const that's why... They use go through so many of them. Wow. So that would be a huge challenge. Gosh. I mean, 10,000 mm -hmm. might, might, sounds like a lot, yeah. but it's probably not a very long supply. Yeah. And so I, I hope they can be sterilized. I hope the, the folks that are working on that part of it can figure out how to sterilize them and, you know, and make them reusable. But anyway, we're going to, we're going to keep going and try to reach our 10,000 goal. Incredible. And how, how is this project getting funded? Well, it was amazing. I When I first started this call on Facebook, a friend of mine just wrote to me and said, you know, I want to give you $1,000 for this. And then another friend said, I want to give you $300. And then another friend said, I want to give you like $5,000. And so the money started coming in before we even had a way to officially fundraise. And so then we started a GoFundMe to reach out to, to everyone else. And so it was a few private donors right at the beginning. And then the GoFundMe got started and we raised, you know, about $21,000, $22,000 through that. And so that's where their money is coming. And how much do you think it will cost you to do the whole 10,000 masks? Well, we had kind of estimated our cost at about $2 a mask. That was a very rough estimate when Russell and I first got together. We were just kind of looking at the materials and of course, we have to buy everything retail and there's shipping involved. So it just adds up. And then the other unexpected expense that we we forgot to include was all these tools that we needed to get. We have special cutting machines and pliers and clippers and things for the sewing machines and just a whole variety of, of tools and equipment. And we're probably going to buy a circular saw for part of it. Yeah, there's just a lot of expenses in that regard that we didn't think about. But we we have some donors who are willing to come back and give more. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about our funding. I think we'll be fine. Good. Awesome. And are you I mean, if someone wanted to donate or wanted to get involved or wanted to even show up and sew or cut or clip 
Yeah. Uh, how would they, what would they do? How would they get a hold okay. of you? Yeah, they can reach out to either Kathy Baldwin or myself. And um, the email is Maui Face Mask Project at gmail.com. That's Maui Face Mask Project at gmail.com. Great. What we've done, Kathy and I, we opened a checking account in our names with the Bank of Hawaii. That account is just for for this funding process. If they would like to donate funds um, that we would use for supplies or to buy lunches for our volunteer makers, they could make a check payable to Kathy Baldwin or Jennifer Oberg. And in the memo, write Maui Face Mask Fund. And then mail the checks to Kathy Baldwin at P.O. Box 1479. That's P.O. Box 1479 in Makawao. 96753 and we would love to have the support so this is a a, a huge project for you and a yes huge, it is huge and a huge pivot as one of our guests was saying from what you would normally do how does it make you feel to to be doing this to see this movement to see the support and to actually be able to provide something that's needed well it feels wonderful it's very rewarding And I think it's just part of my heritage. My mother used to be a nurse at Queens Hospital in the 50s. And my dad was stationed at Pearl Harbor in the 50s as a sailor in the Navy. And I brought their photos into the sewing room. They're sitting Uh there watching us all as we sew. And the the volunteers really like to see the photos there. And it it feels terrific. I feel like we're doing the right thing. Yeah, you're, you're the frontliners out there trying to help where you can, which is what we all want to do. It's I think it's what Maui's all about, helping each other. Yes. You're you're a great example of that. Thank you. If I could give you one more thing, if if anyone would like to donate lunches, we oh. can use lunches for about twenty five every day. Kim Abrahamson is um, handling our our lunches. People could email her. Great. The email is Maui Face Mask project at gmail.com you have volunteers there and they're hungry and if you can't sew we'd like lunch (laughs) yeah yeah so volunteers donations and lunches okay well that's wonderful again thank you so much jennifer it's it's such an inspirational story i'm so i'm just so proud of you for for stepping in and and doing the right thing and getting it done in in such lickety split time something to be proud of Thank you. Thanks you for having me today. You're welcome. Thank you. I am um, here t- today speaking with uh, Michael Djokovic. Hi, Michael. Hi, Diane. Nice to hear your voice. Thanks. Nice to hear yours. It's good to hear another human being. Michael Djokovic is the Area Vice President for Hyatt Hotels Hawaii. He is also the Chairman of the Board for the Hawaii Lodging and Tourism Association, and he's speaking to us from the Andas, where he is also the general manager of Andas Maui. You and I met, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago when uh, you were at the Hyatt in Kanapali. Then you left Hawaii for a little while and, and came back. Now you are at the Andas. So you know, tell us a little bit about your, your history in, in Hawaii and, and, and why you came back to us. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again. Mahalo. Um, I first moved to Hawaii in 1985 with my wife, Debbie. We uh, both began our Hawaii life working at the Hyatt Regency Maui Resort and Spa. I was in housekeeping as a manager and Debbie was uh, at the pool 
selling hot dogs. Don't tell a lot of people that, <laughs> especially right out of college. She was called like, a weenie great. queenie. Yeah, and, but she she had a great experience and then was promoted into room reservations. And I went into the front office as the front office manager. And I reflect on those days often uh, in 1985 that it changed our lives forever. Because from that day forward, we left the island and we've actually moved to Maui four times wow. since 1985, back and forth across that Pacific Ocean. Uh, Maui keeps calling us and Maui is our new hometown forever in our life. And we just absolutely love, I, I'm getting chicken skin talking about Maui. Yeah. It was I, a big loss I, when you left and we're so glad you came back. Yeah. So I, I came back and I had the fortunate uh, job of being in one of my life goals is to be the general manager of the Hyatt Regency Maui. And you're correct. That's when we met. We opened up Umalu. We opened up Japango. And yeah, that was uh, a big we party. We repositioned ourselves um, at the Hyatt Regency Maui. And, and we had a, and it's still a great, great hotel. It's the Grand Dame of the Pacific, as I call it, the, the palace. Yeah. And it's actually going under a significant refurbishment and renovation that's, as we well, speak yeah, so those projects continue so it's amazing during the downturn here and now we have the beautiful andas and in uh, wailea and uh, i'm proud to be part of this team and and working with all the hotels in hawaii and now the, the hotel association which i have been part of for many many years and working closely with mufi hanneman the former mayor of honolulu and He's our president and CEO. There's mm. just been a great collaboration between the hotels, the Hawaii Tourism Authority, Chris Tatum, the Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau, John Monahan, um, through this, you know, pandemic, this global pandemic that has impacted Hawaii greatly. But I do know one thing, we'll get out of this because we in Hawaii know what aloha is and we know this aloha will will bring us out of this situation one yeah, way we are another. we are fortunate to be i think from a community that realizes that we are in it together you know on an island we we need each other all the time so it, it's not news to us that we need each other and i think the hotel association is a, a good example of coming together and, and helping out i know that your hotel chain was one of the first to announce closing and i was really kind of proud of you for doing that and you but it must have had a, a huge impact it must have been a really terrifying and brave decision to make so can, can you tell us how you were able to come to that decision yeah we you know we we really evaluated from a company standpoint in mainland u.s and in hawaii we we were seeing what was happening across the united states on the mainland and we thought you know let's try to get ahead of the curve and we knew that our bookings were declining. We knew that airlines were cutting back. And we wanted to, to ensure, you know, that we were providing safe and clean environments all along, which we did for our associates, our colleagues, our guests. But it just came down to the point where it's, it, we knew the inevitable was coming, that we had to suspend operations. So why not just make that decision? So in partnership with our ownership and our management company, the Andas and the Hyatt Regency elected to do that on the same day. We did it on Tuesday, March 24th. Right. I and remember. I'll tell you, and it was special, Diane, because the way that we opened this hotel was through a blessing. And, and our cultural manager, 
we had a blessing at the Andaz that day, which I felt was really important that we're gonna pause. We're gonna pause for a little moment here in time in 2020 with the Andaz, but we'll be back. We'll be back stronger, better than ever at a future date, which we don't have at this point, but we're hoping it's sooner than later. Yeah, um, I think that's in a, operations. That's a great way to put it. We're, we're all taking a pause and it's not forever. It's uh, it's a pause. It's a time of uh, being a little bit quiet, a little bit reflective, but we're, we're going to come back and we'll do that by by doing what you're doing, helping each other. You have some, I guess, many things in effect for with the ongoing pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what you folks are doing? In the hotel specifically that have suspended operations, we have actually some projects going on. At the Hyatt Regency, I think I mentioned briefly, the Atrium Tower, which has about 230 rooms and the lobby are under 100% renovation. So a complete gutting so that when we do reopen, we can welcome visitors back to brand new guest rooms. And that's something that is a commitment from our mayor of Mali County, Mayor Victorino, who wanted construction to continue, our ownership, and making sure the trades are still working. And the same thing is happening at the Andaz Maui in Wailea, that we have new construction on 19 new villas that is ongoing as we speak. So we're hoping to complete that sooner than later as well. So that's that's happening, but we also have some employees from security to housekeeping to engineering, monitoring our buildings. We have to put the buildings on pause, but they're still producing energy. And we have the guest rooms that have the flow of air uh, that is acceptable. We wanna make sure that our uh, systems are all go and ready to you know, re-energize when our guests are back, our computer systems. I'm at the hotel right now. So I come in daily to check on the staff. We have somebody answering telephones to book reservations for the future. And then we also have sales and events. And every hotel that I know of have salespeople working to either relocate groups or transient travelers that were coming Mm -hmm. in April and May to future months. And I'm pleased to report that we have quite a few bookings that are coming back or new bookings that are coming into the future in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So that's very encouraging to me as a hotel operator that mm-hmm. there's still a lot of interest in Maui and there's still a lot of people that are wanting to to either come later this year or early next year. So I'm encouraged by that because that's what's kind of happening behind the scenes. We do have people still working to bring people to our islands to visit and to really experience what we have to offer. So it sounds like you feel that when we when things do come back online and we're not sure when that is yet, you feel like it's going to trickle in more than many of us had thought? I, I do believe it will ramp up. Every day I read different reports that it's going to be one third of what it was and then now it's one half of what it was. And maybe by fall or the fourth quarter, we'll be at three quarters of what we were. So it's definitely not going to be what When we suspended our operations and when tourism came to a screeching halt, Mm -hmm. the the switch is definitely not going to come back on in June or July once the quarantine and the lift has come. So it will ramp. And really, our destiny is based upon airlines. What is the capacity of airlines coming to the islands? How are the airlines going to provide a clean and safe environment that people are going to feel comfortable in flying to Hawaii. 
it's going to start with that. And then how are we in the hotel industry going to change the way we offer a clean and safe environment? Hawaii has always been a safe place to come and will always remain a safe. But our standards of cleanliness have changed. You know, we maybe the shaka is going to be the, the greeting for everybody, you know, coming and going. There's not even going to be maybe fist bumping and shaking hands at all going forward. Who knows when you hear some of the experts say that maybe it's not the best at this point. So I think our future really is defined by quite a few things and based upon the economy. And I'm encouraged that our federal government has subsidized unemployment for many of our workers who are out there on unemployment that have been furloughed and there's additional monies there and then there's tax credit. So hopefully we have people that still have some dreams and, and discretionary income that will travel to visit our islands. Yeah, I feel that that's, I mean, if you're we're looking at three quarters by the fall, that's a lot better than I thought. So I'm pretty encouraged by that projection. In the meantime, during during this pandemic, I know that the hotel associations have been doing a lot of donations and, and support for the ongoing effort to keep us all healthy. There's been donations of, of sanitation supplies, masks and gloves. I think uh, many of the hotels have been donating food to the food bank. I've heard also that uh, even the, the workers have been able to get baskets of food from the hotels and the Department of Education as well. Can, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on within the industry as far as um, support? Absolutely. So one of the first things that probably every hotel participated in was providing food and care packages for their associates and colleagues. Everyone I know in Wailea and Kaanapali, as suspension of operations came, we uh, provided a lot of fruits and vegetables and perishable products to our associates to take home to their families. And we felt that was really important. On top of that, we were able to get donations from companies like Cisco and other food distributors that we could give to the Maui Food Bank. And as of recently, we were actually last week able to donate some masks and also some snacks and beverages to construction workers. You know, the construction workers that are either at this site or even offsite, my engineer and I delivered some things and they were really grateful because you have to realize that this this pandemic is stressful for everybody in the world. It doesn't matter if you're a child at home with your, your parents or your parents and grandparents or essential workers, first responders in construction, everybody is experiencing a new kind of stress that is really unnerving. So we have to be there for each other. And if we have the, the means to do that, we'll continue to do that. The hotel association, starting on the statewide level, in partnership with the Hawaii Tourism Authority and the Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau, uh, developed the Hotel for Heroes program that provides complimentary rooms for healthcare workers and first responders during this crisis. And the HTA is taking funding to help pay for that to the hotels, because there are some costs. If a hotel room is sitting empty, there would be some costs to, right. to occupy that room and just provide safety and security. So I'm really happy about that. And there's quite a few hotels in Maui that have been able to provide those first responders some rooms. So that's, that's something that we'll continue to evaluate. What else can we do for, for those that are putting their lives out on the line to take care of anybody that has COVID-19 or been exposed to it. So I'm really happy about that because mm -hmm. that's important to our community. When I listen to 
uh, the updates daily from the governor and lieutenant governor. Uh, it sounds like we're doing everything we can. And most importantly, the social distancing is critical to you know, flattening the curve. So I'm happy to hear that right now we're in a good place and we want to remain there. So, that's why we're doing this on the telephone and not in person. In my kitchen. I'm sitting in my kitchen talking to you. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not even going. You're braver than I am. I'm not going down to the office. So what do you what do you think is the most challenging aspect of being in your position at this time? I mean, you're in charge of a lot of people, a lot of lives depend on, on the decisions that you're making. Yeah, it's uh it hasn't been easy, Diane. You know, I I just ran into one of my associates who came by to check on us and you know, I try to call people daily and I feel, you know, I feel bad. It's like the world has stopped and we look at beautiful Maui and it's like a ghost island and there's a few people out there exercising. And it was just so full of life and we were providing great experiences and making a difference in people's lives. And I just feel bad. But, you know, when I touch base uh, with some of my leaders and associates, we have HR support. We were helping people through unemployment and um, they can't wait to come back to work. Yeah. And that gives me great, it puts a smile on my face right now thinking, you know what? We can't wait to, to open up those doors and, and get back. But, you know, people are connecting. They're connecting with families. They're connecting with friends. How many people have reached out to you over the last few weeks that you haven't talked to in a long time? Yeah. I bet you there's been quite a few. Yeah, We've all been doing that. And it's really you know. Hey, we were talking earlier about how one of the things that is most challenging for a lot of people is, is simply the loneliness. So it's an, important mm -hmm. for us to reach out, you know, to, to folks that maybe we haven't spoken to in a while and just say, hey, right. you know, we're thinking about you and hang in there. Absolutely. We'll get through this. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the good stories? You know, it must be um, <laughs> a little bit of a silver lining. Yeah, there's, uh, there's uh, the good stories are that that people are having some good times with their families. When you when you see some of the posts that they're they're playing games again, that they're that they're FaceTiming. How about the Zoom and what yeah. people have been able to do to connect? You know, uh, I have a, a daily call with people from the mainland, and it's we're seeing each other's faces. And technology has brought us to this world today. Imagine in 1985 if this would have happened when. I first came to the island and you were, how to, you, you came here, yeah, but we didn't have this technology that. and we couldn't connect and we had to pay our long distance bills and we didn't have the money for telephones and, you know, that was expensive. The good thing is that we have the ability to connect through video that we can see each other live and we are making a difference in people's lives by connecting. The other thing I'd say is that, you know, whatever we do and whatever we can donate or give our time to, people really show appreciation for that. Debbie and I have a route on Tuesdays with Hallie Cow Cow. And so we deliver meals to people in Kihei, South Kihei area and North Kihei. Yeah, I know yeah. I know you folks are doing a lot and, and always have. How are you connecting with the Kapuna? You say that you're delivering meals. How how do you know who to deliver them to? Halle Cow Cow was an organization that was started actually by a group of ladies from the hospitality industry. I think Jim Petrus's wife, Anne, was part of that back in the early 90s. But it's in conjunction with St. Teresa's Church 
in Kihei. Right. So we in Hyatt Regency Maui, you know, Chef Greg, right. uh, who moved to Kauai recently, he used to, in Hyatt Maui, still provides food to that church that provides the food to people that need it. So they they have a need for drivers and delivery people. So Debbie was able to link with them and signed up. We did it temporarily, but now has a permanent route on Tuesday afternoons. That must be rewarding. It is. And I think, yeah, I think that it, if we do something, if people can just do something so they feel a little bit in control, a little bit like they're contributing to, to the betterment, that it, it goes a long way. So if someone wanted to do what you're doing, let's say, and they wanted to go through um, St. Teresa to help deliver food for Kapuna, how would they do that? I don't have the number, but I would recommend just looking up St. Teresa's in Kihei and give them a call because they do look for substitute drivers quite often. So if you have time, you have a vehicle to do that, they would really appreciate that. Great. So I, I know you can't tell us when the hotels will reopen, do you, but do you have a, a projection of what's being thought about right now? Yeah, we um, so March 24th, we looked at the next 60 days. So that would put us towards the end of May. Mm-hmm. So really based upon what happens on the mainland U.S. and where we are with our curve, hopefully sometime in uh, end of May, June, we can get this started again. And what happens with airlines and, and if they're going to be flying to Hawaii. So we're going to evaluate that every couple of weeks. But we do have uh, rooms on the books. We have reservations uh, confirmed for June. We have not relocated anybody that we wanted to. Some people have postponed until July and August. But uh, hotels that I've spoken to right now are targeting that June period. Great. I'll look forward to that. We would all like to see Maui up and running again in June. Um, But if not, we'll We'll still be here. We'll wait for July. Yeah. Been a pleasure talking to you, Michael. I always appreciate your time and your effort. And I know you're you're working hard to keep the machines moving along and doing what you can yep. to help. And we appreciate that. We appreciate that very we much. We will do it. We will continue. And we appreciate you and how you're supporting our industry so much and even having these discussions. It's important. Uh, Maui no Ka'oi has always been there for us, and we appreciate that and we'll be there for you and continue to be there as well mahalo take care you too aloha